Shalom. It's a, a, a great thrill for us to come and be with you today. And um, so just a word uh, in uh, with uh, Shoshana's advertisement. Um, I, I am the former uh, board, of, the uh, chairman of the board of the company. But since the company got dissolved, I, I'm nothing. There you go, just nothing. But um, one thing about her jewelry, um, she designs it makes it and sells it. Uh, and uh, the whole process was really a growing process. Um, but uh, when we were in South Carolina, there were, we had, she had a shop and it was a great, not, not a great old, not just for selling jewelry, but it was a great place to do ministry because people would come and, you know, like ladies like are impulsive to buy jewelry, you know, and so they'll come in and just spend time, you know, and so uh, that was a really great opportunity for uh, ministry and even to this day it's an opportunity for ministry because she has a lot of people that she ministers to through uh, the uh, the jewelry so we, we praise God for that and uh, we only have about a, a bookcase this high this wide just full of stuff so it takes up a whole corner in the bedroom you know stacked from the floor all the way up literally this high so uh, that's everything that's left from the store right in our bedroom. So praise God. And uh, the, uh, the Lord is good. And the Lord is faithful. And doesn't matter what circumstances we face in life, he is always face faithful. And you know, we, we might think that we have just gone through an, an extreme circumstance uh, over the last year, 15 months, um, but in every circumstance, there's always something good. There's always good. And in fact, the scripture tells us that uh, God works all things for good to what? To those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So when you're focused on the circumstance, you could be like Peter and start drowning when you're on the, that rough sea. But if you're focused on God, he can turn that circumstance into that good thing. And so, so the whole pandemic, uh, you know, I, I almost am embarrassed to say it. This was a great year and a half uh, for us. I mean, it has been fantastic because we have had so many opportunities that we would not have had otherwise. And God just continued to pour out blessings and blessings upon blessings. And, uh, you know, since January, I think between Shoshana and I, we've seen no less than eight Jewish people come to faith. And, you know, that's spectacular. Because I don't know if there's any other person who's seen somebody come to faith in the whole New York office. There may be one or two, but I'm not sure. But God has just given us this opportunity to minister to the people who he's bringing to us. And uh, it has been, I mean, I, I, it's, there's not even good words for it. God. It's God. And um, I'll just tell you a quick story about one, one such lady uh, this woman was being witnessed to uh, by the wife of a pastor of a Messianic congregation down south. And she read a book of testimonies 
that it turns out that Shoshana's testimony was in the book. And the lady says, I want to talk to this lady. Is it possible for me to talk to this lady? And so the pastor's wife says, well, let me make a phone call. As it turns out, the person who wrote the book is a good friend of ours. And so the lady says, yeah, she, here's her phone number. Call her up. And so we, uh, we had a, uh, Shoshana met with this lady on a Zoom call and the pastor's wife. And they're talking, you know, for a little while. And uh, Shoshana calls me and says, hey, you know, maybe you want to come in and, and share something. And uh, this, this lady who read Shoshana's testimony in a book that we never met uh, is now on a Zoom call wanting to believe but has an obstacle. And she has an obstacle about the, the deity of Jesus. And uh, so I came on the phone. I came on the Zoom call. And uh, guess what? She prayed to receive Yeshua that night. And um, it, things like that are just happening all the time. And uh, it is just so good to see the hand of God at work. And it, it's like we're not going out and doing anything. We're just kind of answering the phone. We're just kind of being there. And God is bringing all of these people to us in a way that with all of the planning in the world, we couldn't have this kind of success. So it's God who's bringing the people, it's God who's doing the pre preparation, it's God who's doing it all, and I just, uh, I just praise God, and I, I want to thank God for you guys in this church, and thank you uh, individually for your praying for us, because I know that you do pray for our work, and you get our letters, and just quickly, if you don't get our letter and you want to get them, I got some of these on the table. Give us your address, give us your email. We, we can be in touch with you on a personal basis. And if you want, and if you need prayer, if you're on our email, you can drop me an email. We pray for you. Uh, we we counted a privilege to, uh, to serve the body, and we counted a privilege to, to represent you as you represent the Messiah to the Jewish people. And people say to me, well, who pays your salary? I said, well, God pays my salary, but he uses believers in Jesus to come alongside with us. And so we are very, very grateful for uh, this, this family of believers who, who has, has been with us. You might not be there on that Zoom call when we're talking to this woman, but you're with us there, you know, bef before the throne and before the goodness of God. So uh, rejoice. Rejoice because God is answering your prayers. God is blessing the work. And uh, we, we just are thrilled to have this privilege. Um, like I said, I can't plan this ministry. I just, I just kind of wait around and see what God is going to do. And it seems like God is always doing stuff. So uh, praise his name. Glory to God. And uh, I'm, I'm just grateful that I have a privilege to be there, you know, in the, in the right time, in the right place. So pray that God would put me in the right place. Pray that Shoshana and I just get those phone calls and that we can uh, minister to the people who want ministry. We've had a major shift in our ministry philosophy. Not so major for me, but this is, you know, you know as a whole, uh, I really only minister to people who want to be ministered to. And I, I have found that that is an effective way to do it. And I, I don't look for them. God brings them. So how cool of a job do I got? You know, I just sit around and wait for God to drop people in my lap, and lo and behold, he does stuff. So what a job. I praise his name. So 
thank you for being a part of it. And uh, what I want to share with you this morning, uh, the Jewish people have a lot of liturgy, as does all religious groups. They have certain litur liturgical prayers, some that are more important than others. This morning, I'm going to share with you uh, part of a series I actually did uh, back when I was in the congregation, the Messianic congregation in South Carolina. I called it Living Liturgy. And what I did was I, take, I, I took different passages of scripture that were turned into prayers that were very important in the Jewish worship. This, this is Deuteronomy 6, which is called the Shema. And the Shema is probably the most important prayer in the entire Jewish liturgy. In fact, it is probably the only prayer that every Jewish person knows uh, it, it, apart from the blessings, you know, like Baruch Atah Alam, except for that, this is the only prayer that every Jewish people know, that every Jewish person knows, whether they're Orthodox or Reform, whether they're Hasidic or or even atheist Jews know this because they've heard it. And basically, uh, it is it is recited daily, two or three or four times a day, depending on how often they would do a service. Uh, it is the last words on 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 your lips, if, you're, if you know you're dying and you're in a, in a deathbed, when you're knowing you're dying, you recite these words. If you're a martyr and you're going to be put to the death, you recite these words upon your deathbed. So before God, uh, the Jewish people believe that this is the most important prayer. It is a very great prayer, and I, I want to I share with you how great this prayer is as it has relevance to live by, not just to recite a prayer, but how significant and how applicable the prayer is for our life. Not only Jewish people, by the way, all people. And in fact, in verse 3, it talks about you know, having a prolonged life and God's blessings upon you. If you want to have blessings and success in life, here's the prayer. This is how you can do it, and we'll take a look at it together. Uh, but it is a, just a fantastic prayer. And um, the, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that the prayer itself is just another piece of Scripture. But it has to do with the God of Scripture. Because a lot of people read the Bible and don't really make it life-changing. The Bible is not just a book. The Bible is given to us to change our lives, to conform us to the image of his beloved son. And so if we're merely reading the Bible for the sake of you know, checking off to do list, I did the read Bible reading, or if you go through the read the Bible in a year thing, or, and you're just doing it to read, and you're not letting it impact your life, you might as well be reading, you know, Moby Dick or something, because it's, it's then just a book. But it's not a book. It is a book that is a love letter written by God to us to accomplish his purpose in us, that we would reflect the glory of God. So we read the scripture already, so I'm going to just go right into the text. And uh, I'm going to uh, just, you know, cut it apart. Uh, because there's no phrase in this 
this little text of scripture that is less important than any others. So we're going to just look at all of the, the, the text and see what it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word one here is echad, Shemai Israel Adonai, Eloheinu Adonai, echad. And the word one, echad, is not just one. But according to Michael Brown, it is one uniquely. Michael Brown is one of the highest leading messianic scholars in the world. He's written a whole bunch of books. But he, he translates this word one as one uniquely. Now, why is it one uniquely? Why is it not just one? Because it's a, it's a unique word. It actually means one in a sense of plurality. Like when a husband leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You have two people, but one flesh. How does that work? Uniquely, right? So God is one uniquely. God is one in a unique kind of way because the Bible very clearly tells us that God is one in a very unique way. In fact, he is a plurality of God. He is not just God Father, he is God, Son, God, Holy Spirit. So we have a triune God in a very unique oneness. All equally God, all equally God in every part of the, of the plan of redemption. But there's one God. But here it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one in uniqueness. So the first important thing that we have to understand is that success in life, blessings in life, starts with the acknowledgement that there is one true God. Now, why is this so important for the Israelites, as it's written by Moses? Think of where they just came from. Egypt. How many gods were the Egyptians worshiping? Well, we know of at least 10, because the plagues were judgment on their gods. The, the cows, the frogs, the river itself. So the Israelites came out of a society that was multi-God, very false God driven. In fact, their whole life system was about false gods. And so God says to us, if you want to have success, it begins with the acknowledgement of one, one and only one true God. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 14? The fool, I don't want to accuse anybody of anything right here, but that's what the Bible says. The fool says there is no God. Guess what? If you believe there's no God, you're not going to have the success of God. You're not going to have God's blessings on you if you deny his existence. And the interesting thing about the scriptures, God doesn't try to prove himself when he starts the writing. When we read Genesis chapter 1, this is how the, it starts in the Hebrew. Bereshit, uh, in the beginning, bara, he created God. God created in the beginning. God doesn't try to prove he exists. Moses just writes the words down, in the beginning, God there's no apologetic to prove God. God is here. God was there. God created everything. And this is how he did it. And if you don't believe that, then you will have all kind of foolish explanations of how, why, and where we came from. Does, doesn't that seem a little crazy? 
If you believe, and, and I just can't, I can't even fathom how this is a reality. If you believe that you came from a single cell amoeba, that takes more faith to believe than God, an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator, created you. Right? You have to have a lot more faith to believe that you came from this single cell. And you've evolved. That's a lot of faith. But if you believe that there's a creator, that's why God says, in the beginning, God. God gives us the explanation of where we came from, how we got here. Just have to believe. Also, interestingly enough, what we call the Ten Commandments, the Jewish people don't list the same commandments that we list, you know, in, in Christian ideas. The first commandment, as it's stated in the text in Exodus chapter 20, it says, I am the Lord your God. Do you hear any command in there? There's no command. It's a statement of reality. I am the Lord your God. And then it goes on to say, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, the first part of it is what we call the first commandment. It's not a commandment. It's a statement of reality. I am the Lord your God. And the Jewish people see that as the first statement. We have to acknowledge that there is one and only one God. If there's anything more or anything less, if you don't think there is a God or you think there's a lot of gods, you're not following God's plan and you, can, you shouldn't expect God's blessings. I know a lot of people who tell me they don't believe in God, but they pray. Who are you praying to? And, and why are you praying to somebody you don't even think exists? And why are you looking for his blessings when you don't think he's real? You know, does that make sense? If you want to have favor from God, you have to acknowledge that there is one true God. And not only that, there should be only one God in our lives. Now, a lot of times we get confused of what is a God in our life. We think that if it's a stone object or a golden object or if it's something and we bow down to it, that's a God. But that's not what a God is, or that is not the only thing a God can be. A, a false God can be prestige, status, a job, a house, a car, a spouse, a child. There are a lot of people who are self-deifying. They think they're God. A lot of people do. And so how do we know what is a false God, where our energies are spent, where our love is, where our worship is, where our time, where our money is spent? And so we can look at our life and say, what is our God? Some people think that achieving the highest ranking possible of humanity, a president, a, a, a chairman, that's, that's my God. And I'm not going to stop until I'm at the top. That's, that's a, a false God. I'm not going to stop until I have a three-car garage, you know, four-bedroom, three-bath house on the, on, the, on the shore. If that's what you're living for, that's, that's an idol. It's a false God. Unfortunately, a lot of people 
think their kids are God because they bow down to what the kids say. Oh, do this, do that. And today, you know, it's, people are afraid to be strict to their kids. And so their kids take away the place of God's authority. Isn't that crazy? But look at how many people do that. There's one God, and there should only be one God in our life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. If we want God's favor, that's, that's the basic truth of life. The acknowledgement of that one true God. Now, I want to say that that one true God, when you do things his way, he is phenomenal. If you do things your way, you might start blaming God for all of your woes. Like, God did this to me. I, I hear people all the time, God did this to me. God took this from me. God did this and God did that. Well, you got the wrong view. You don't even deserve to have breath. You know that? You don't deserve anything. So you don't, you're not looking at the good things that God has given you. You're just blaming him for all the bad things in your life. Not thinking that the bad things can actually be good things. People ask me, well, why, does, why do I have death? Why did my aunt die? And I said, well, I'm not God. I don't know why he allowed it. But I know one of the reasons why is that he wants your attention and he wants you to draw to him for strength and comfort. Because God is the only one who can erase the pain of loss. We need to have one God in our life. So the basic truth, it needs to begin with there is one God. The basic element for life, as we see in this text, Verse 5, you shall love. This is a very interesting word because what, what the world understands as love today is not quite what God says is love. I was hearing a conversation about the, uh, a new form of love relationships. Uh, you can now love a lot of different couple people in your relationship. You can have like three or four people in the same relationship. That doesn't sound like love to me. That sounds like a lot of confusion. But that's, people call it love. But it says here in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What is love? What is love from God's perspective? God is concerned. God sees us as a priority. He wants us to know him. God sees us and has made a commitment to us. If you take commitment out of a relationship, guess what? There's no love. When you're willing to make a commitment that says, I am loving you. I love you, and therefore I'm going to commit. Love is manifest with sacrifice. Some things in a relationship you just sacrifice. 
I mean, I'm not talking about which, which format the living room furniture is good, you know? Because, you know, some things the husband should just mind their own business. If the wife wants to move the couch over here or over here, fine. If you're happy, I'm happy. That's not a sacrifice, by the way. That's, that's just love. But sacrifice is God saying, I love you so much that my son is going to come down and die for you. That's love. That's a sacrifice. That is the greatest sacrifice. Love has to do with sacrifice. Love has to do with commitment. Love has to do with the willingness to put yourself aside for the person whom you love. So it says, love the Lord. What God is asking us to put ourself aside to love him and follow him and do things his way. Love is, is shown by the amount of energy, the amount of time, the amount of purpose you put into something. When I was engaged, I spoke in Maine. Um, somewhere out there in Maine, I, you know, it was, to me it was the boondocks. You know, when you pass the New York City border, you're just out there. You know, that's how I always thought. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. I grew up believing, by the way, that everything west of Hudson River was the west. That's how I grew up. Uh, that's how I was born in the Bronx, you know, and so if you were west of the Hudson River, you were west, and if you were Yonkers or above, you were north. That's how I grew up. So anyway, I was in Maine, and uh, I knew my wife would go to work, so I drove home from Maine overnight. I, after the meeting at night, I usually get a hotel, and I stay in a hotel, and I come the next morning. I drove home from Maine, and I met my, my fiance, Shoshana, for breakfast in New Jersey, because I wanted to be with her. And we had breakfast. She went to work, and I went home. I went to sleep. See, love is when you're willing to spend extra time, make every moment to spend more time with the person to whom you love. I just want to ask you a question. Do you love God with all your heart so that you'll find a way to make more time with God as opposed to not find time for God at all? And so one of the things I'm struggling with in my ministry is how can I challenge people to actually seek opportunities to be with God and to be with God's people. I have a lot of people who just kind of are looking for the easy way out relationship. If I'm available and they'll make a commitment to be with me, but then don't show up. I don't know. I don't, to me, that's a real problem, but I don't know how to change people, but I make myself available. But if we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, and might, God wants a little commitment God wants a little energy invested into it. God wants us to see him as a priority. Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, and might? Here's a question you can ask. What does my checkbook look like? You know, we might not have checkbooks anymore, but where is your investment 
You know, where are you giving? I had a guy in my congregation. I, this guy was serious. This is long ago. And he said he was, uh, he was working. He uh, was a Navy trainee on the submarine base in North Car in South Carolina. We had the, the submarine base, the training facility, right up the road from us. So we had a guy coming. And he, he gave, he was coming, and he gave 1% of his income each week for 10 weeks. And he came up to me and he said, I just want to let you know, I, I got 10% of my giving. 10%. I said, what you, I said, how does that work? He says, I gave 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 10 weeks, 10%. And I said, I don't think it works that way. I think you give 10% of each of your checks. And he looked at me like, what, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm thinking 10%, you know? But that, I thought that was like very strange. But you know what? I was very thankful that he gave the 1% because he understood about giving. And so it's not a matter of the percentage. Are you giving? Love God. Love is striving to reach God's holiness the same way you would pursue any other object of your passion. That's what it means to love. Love him with all your heart. Uh, the heart is, in this Hebrew word, it is including your thinking, your emotions, your will. Love God with all your heart. What makes you a, a being? What is your will? Here's a simple solution for what is the will of God for your life. Your will be done, Lord. Isn't that a simple formula? Your will be done. Your emotions? Trust God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He is faithful. He can accomplish. He can make a bad circumstance into a good thing because his word says it. My mind, I believe it. I don't, get, I don't have all the answers. You ever have a situation where you have more questions than answers? But you're believing it. God wants you to believe it. Love the Lord with all your heart. With all your soul, this is the, the, the thing that's in you. In, in Jewish, in Yiddish, we, we call it your kishkas. You know, the inside of you. Love God with all of your inner being your heart, your soul, and your might. Your physical. Loving God shows itself by, willing, by being willing to come out to worship God. Did you know that you being here today is an act of you loving God? Because you could very well be sitting on the couch in the living room. And not, not that that's a bad thing. Good. Watch church instead of going out. Spend the time with God. But you're here because you love God and you want to be in connection with God. Love him with all your might has to do with a physical connection, human connection, God connection. We connect with God, love God with all your heart, soul, and might, and serve him. Every church has opportunities to serve God, whether it be setting up chairs, serving with children, nursery, teaching, whatever it is. So when you're serving a body, when you're doing, using your gifts in a body, what are you doing? You're loving God. 
And, and so it says, love him with all your heart, soul, and your might. Your physical being is invested into loving God. I love God with all my might. I just sit in my chair all day and wait. Believe it or not, that works. Because I make myself available. I do a lot more than that, by the way. Uh, I, I, want, I don't want you to think I spend all my working hours uh, just sitting in my desk chair. Sometimes I sit on the couch. No. Um, but uh, actually, uh, something I would ask you to pray about. Um, on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, Shoshana and I are recording both days, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're recording uh, different stuff for which is going to go on our website. One is going to be a teaching series on the high holidays, and we're going to do a high holiday presentation for the people who, who are live streaming and watching us online. And so I'm going to be teaching on the Jewish holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And so I'm going to be recording this message, which is going to be aired during the holiday season, which is coming up. And in in, it actually begins Monday night of Labor Day, I believe. So uh, pray that God would give us uh, wisdom and discernment and give us uh, the ability to get this recorded well and uh, not after like multiple attempts. Hopefully we can knock it out on the first time through because they, they planned us for, uh, what is it, 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock for recording. I'm thinking, I sure hope it doesn't take five hours, but uh, hopefully we can uh, get it done pretty well. So pray for that because uh, this is going to be what Juice for Jesus is going to air during our holiday season. So uh, pray that God uses it and that God will give me the, the right words. Love the Lord, the basic element of life. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, because that's what God expects from people whom he has loved. We don't love him because we loved him. We love him because he loved us first. And if someone is loving you, the natural response is to love them back. That's natural. So God loved us with the greatest love. Jesus came down, Yeshua came down, paid for our sins, took away our sins, gave us eternal life, and he said, I love you. Now, in return, love me with all your heart, soul, and might. Jesus actually said, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. So, yes, uh, sometimes it's not easy. And yes, it does require sacrifice. And yes, it does require commitment. But if you want God's favor, it's the basic element that you, it's the basic way to live. And when you are living that way, God, let me just tell you, God will give you way more than you're giving him. Way more. It's unbelievable how giving God is. And you're just merely responding to his love by loving him with all your heart. So the basic element, love him. The basic truth, he's one true God. And then the third thing is the basic expectation in life. Live for the Lord in verses 7 to 9. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. By the way, teach them to your sons and daughters, of course. Um, when, you, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets 
This is the New American Standard, so it might be a little different than what you read earlier. Uh, as frontals on your forehead, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. These are all figurative kind of language. And in the Jewish celebration, there's, there's actually things that represent these, these figurative things. It says, you shall write them on your hands and between your eyes. If you've ever seen it uh, in a movie or if you've ever seen a Jewish person uh, praying, if you've, if you've gone to Israel and you flew overnight, uh, and this, this the few times I went to Israel, I always noticed this on the plane, that early in the morning, like at sunrise, you have a whole bunch of Jewish guys getting, doing their morning prayers, and they, and they, they wrap their leather phylacteries on their arm. And so do, when everyone else is sleeping, they get up, and you can see them you know, in their seat like this. It's a, great, it's a great sight. you know. The first time I flew on El Al, it's like half the plane, you know, they got up at, at sunrise. And it's, it's hard to know when is sunrise, because you're going, and you're flying. And so you're like, when is sunrise? Because the sun is always here, it seems like, when you're going across the Atlantic. you know. But nevertheless, at, at 5 o'clock in the morning, when we happened to be th there, I, was, I, was, I couldn't sleep, by the way, and so I'm just kind of going crazy. And I would see all of these guys, you know, in their little corners with their flatteries on, and they're like, it's an amazing sight. But between your eyes, there's a piece that's worn up here. Wrap them on your hands. If you notice in a Jewish home, they got a little box on the door. It's called the mezuzah. I, I died laughing once when somebody told me, yeah, they, we, we're doing door-to-door -door evangelism. And the guy says to me, yeah, this is a Jewish house. I said, how do you know? He says, it's got a metuzah on the wall. I said, oh, okay. So, but yeah, it's called the mezuzah. And in the mezuzah, there's the, there's the Shema. Is one of the many prayers in it. And when they go in and out of the house, they touch the box. And when they pray, they actually make a, the letter Sheen on the hand with the leather straps, which is the representation of God's name, El Shaddai, and it's on their hand. And so there's these figurative things to help us understand what that means, but that's not what the text means. It's a nice invention, it's beautiful. And for a season in my life, I, I put the phylacteries on, I, we call them tefillin, and so I lay tefillin in the morning when I was you know, a teenager, and I did that for some months. And you know, every house I live in, even in my house now, I have a mezuzah on the door. But that's not what this is talking about. Let's take a look and see what it is talking about. Um, we will do that in a moment. But it says, teach your children. Uh, the, the language here is kind of impress on them and push it down until no more room, it fills up all the room. And so when I get the, uh, the picture in my mind of what this is saying, you have to imagine an ice cream cone. And you scoop out the ice cream and you push it in, and then you get another scoop and you push down, you keep pushing down until there's no more room in the cone, it's all filled with ice cream. Well, that's the kind of language that says, keep pushing it in until there's no more room. Teach your children, your children diligently. So as believers, uh, a responsibility, we teach our children the word of God. Or our family, our grandchildren. It's not the job of the school. It's not the job of society. 
Heaven forbid that society should be the only place our kids get learning. Unfortunately, that seems to be the reality, but uh, that's not their job. School, it's not really their job. The job falls on the family to teach them diligently and believe that the word of God will change them and make an impact on them. Now, many of you are praying for my son, uh, my son, Jonathan. Uh, He believed when he was a young kid and he's not walked with God. He's, he's made some advancements. He actually acknowledges there, that there's a form of God as opposed to no God. But, um, you know, my son is probably one of the most integrous, hardworking, moral people I've ever met. You know, and he, is, he has honor. You know, he's, he, he's a very trustworthy guy. I've had bosses that he worked for come up and tell me, your son is like the best worker I've ever had. Now, why? All we did is teach him what the Bible says. Unfortunately, he doesn't acknowledge God to be redeemer yet. Keep praying for him, by the way. He's coming around. And, you know, I pray that God is going to wake him up, bring him back, and use him mightily for the kingdom of God. But... um, Parents got to teach them. And so I'm going to say that something Shoshana and I did had an effect on him as why he is the person he is. You know, we try to teach our kids. My daughter, on the other hand, is a a minister in a church in in, uh, San Francisco. And in fact, probably right now, she's going on the pulpit and she's going to be sharing a message uh, to the church. Uh, she's, She's the head of the children and youth ministry, and uh, occasionally they call on her to encourage the church out there. And I I guess they start around nine, I think, I don't know, but that's my guess. So right now, in San Francisco, my my daughter, if she's not up here, she's, you know, on that seat getting ready to go up and share. So I'm guessing something Shoshana and I taught her uh, hit home and had an impact on her life. Teach them diligently to your children. Uh, What that also includes is show them what it looks like. Don't tell them. They need to see it. They need to have an example. They need to have a hero in the home. They need to see what it looks like for a parent to love God and to make God the highest priority in their life. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a family member, let them see God in you. Show them. Be that hero. You're not going to wear a cape. Maybe, maybe for fun day you can get out the cape and, you know, be super mom, super dad, super grandma, super grandpa. But let them see it. Let them see it. I remember the first time I was a camp counselor in a believing uh, camp. I was a a little bit nervous because I didn't know how I was going to set my alarm clock uh, to go outside and pray before. And I don't want to wake the kids up because I'm in their, their cabin. 
And so I, I had a, a little alarm clock with me, but I, I prayed, God, wake me up before the alarm clock goes off so I can shut the alarm clock off so I don't wake up the whole cabin. And every day in the week, guess what happened? My alarm clock never went off. God woke me up five minutes before the alarm clock. I got up, turned it off, and went outside. And this guy who had the cot next to me, the, the bed next to me, he, on the second or third day, he said, I hear you every morning. Where are you going? I said, well, I'm just going to talk with God and pray. So he said, can I go with you tomorrow? And I, I said, yeah, sure, why not? So, so I wasn't going to wake him up. You know, I said, if you get up, you come out, you get dressed, you come out with me. So uh, alarm clock doesn't go off the next morning. I get up, I grab my alarm clock, and, and he hears me rustling about. He says, can I come? I said, come on. So he came out with me. A few years later, that was when he was 12 or 13. A few years later, I saw him again. I said, how you doing? He said, I get up every morning, and I go and talk with God. He never did that before. No one ever told him about that. I just showed him two days. And he thought that was the greatest thing in life. We need to show them what it's like. It says we should talk about them when we sit in the house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise up. Uh, well... If you're reading scriptures, if you're talking about scriptures, if you're talking about God principles, if you're, if you're doing that in your home, if you're doing that in, in the place you go, if you have a reputation of not compromising, your children learn that. When my kids were little, it broke my heart to do this. I took my kids to a Yankee game. At that time, I was a Met fan. But I took them to a Yankee game because I thought every New Yorker should see Yankees at least once in their life. And so I bought them bleacher seats. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've been to Yankee Stadium in bleacher seats anytime in the, in the recent past, but they got these chants that they chant. And these are the most nasty chants you'll ever hear. Like they have chants about women who are walking by. They have chants about the former, the other team. And we, we happened to go when the Red Sox were playing. And they had chants about the Red Sox. And I'm th it's the third inning. And my son says to me, he says, Dad, I don't think we should stay here. This is, this is really nasty. And I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, yeah, let's get out of here. I didn't want to stay for the Yankees, but he didn't want to stay because of the language. Well, your children know how you speak and know what's, what's good and how you speak. And so I, I, for me, that was one of my proudest moments that my son, as a little kid, thought the language of the chanting was obscene. That was cool. That was really cool. And I'm glad because he, got, he, he didn't get that from school. He, he got it because we spoke what was true. And then the last thing it says, uh, put them on your hands, put them on your door. Basically, this is, uh, this is language that suggests that put the leather on your hands is what the, the rabbis do today. Well, that's not what it means. It means when you're working, 
When you're working, use your hands for things that are of God. Don't, use your, don't go to work on, in a job that's not for God. Don't work for the devil. And there was a conflict because when I was on a ministry, I was in Las Vegas and I met a bunch of Jewish believers that were Jewish believers who all worked in a casino. And they all were dealers in blackjack. That was, they got saved working in the, in the blackjack tables because one witness to one and another witness to another. And there was a whole Bible study full of Jewish believers in Las Vegas who were blackjack dealers. And you know, they said, should we keep this job? What do you tell a person like that? I said, well, pray and ask God if you should keep this job. Maybe God gave you this job so you can have the money to, you know, do God's work. I don't know. I didn't give them an answer. I just told them to pray. But that was a really tough question. But when we have a choice, don't work in a place that's not of God. I had a friend growing up, when he got saved, his father owned a bar, and uh, his father wanted him to take over the bar. And uh, he said, I'm not taking over the bar. he just become saved. He said, I'm not taking over the bar. And the father said, you're not taking over the bar? This is a family business. It's been in our family. He said, I can't, I can't run the bar. So his father said, you don't take my bar, you don't take my name. He disowned him because he wouldn't work in the bar. So I didn't tell him to do anything. He made a decision, but he was not going to work in a place that wasn't honoring God. I thought that was a great decision. But wrap them upon your hands, your work, your hobby, what you do physically should be for God. And people see it. Put them between your eyes, which, by the way, is real close to your brain. It's easy. What are you watching? What are you looking at? Where is you, what are you thinking about? What, is, what are you listening to? Put them here. The interesting thing about when you're, when you're praying with the leather on your hand and, and your head, you can only think about one thing. You can only think about God. Because it's like right here. You know, you, you can't think of anything else. It's, it's on your arm and you wrap it around and you can't think of anything else. But that's, but that's only last 10 or 12 minutes. What do you do for the other 23 and a half hours a day? You have to intentionally think about and look at things that are pleasing to God. And then he says, put them on the gates of the doors of your house and on your gates. What does that mean? Well, when you walk in and out of the house and you kiss that little box, guess what? You're thinking about God. You think you're thinking about God. But that's not what it means. It's a nice application. But what does it mean? What goes on inside your house should be quality. Like if you're in church, what goes on in here is good. What goes on here should be what goes on there. And when you're, what's going on in your house when you go out, it doesn't mean you're now free to do whatever you want. When you go in and when you come out, you're living for God. So this passive scripture, 
It's a great prayer. But more than that, it's a great teaching on how to live for God. There is one true God. God doesn't want us to follow other gods. God wants us, because of his love for us, he wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, and might. No questions asked. And when we do, we are blessed. And God wants everything we do in our life to be about him. With what we do with our hands, our work, with what we look at, with what we think, and with our coming and our going. And when we do this, as it says in verse uh, 3, it talks about, uh, this obviously is regard, regarding Israel going into their land, but it says in verse 3, it says, that it might be well with you, if you want the blessings of God, love God with all your heart, soul, and might. And then it says that it might be, it might be well with you, and uh, as the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land of flowing of milk and honey, uh, God, God's blessings are upon us when we follow God. This is the basics that he's given us to have a blessed and successful life in his sight. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And uh, may we all be lovers of God so that our kids, our family, and our community can see what it looks like. So they can, uh, they can become followers of God because they've seen what it looks like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great privilege we have to know you, to be able to love you. Thank you that you loved us even when we were unlovable and you gave us freedom to choose. Lord, we pray that by the spirit of the, uh, the power of the Spirit of God that you would enable us to be God lovers, that the world might see and know you because of how we live. And we give you praise and glory for this great opportunity. In the name that's above every name, Jesus our Lord. Amen.